Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside Dilu as we look back at K-State's season finale victory over the Iowa State's Cyclones, I should say regular season finale. Of course, K-State will be going to a bowl game, which we'll find out uh, on Sunday, but a win over the Iowa State Cyclones, uh, 27-17 in a uh, cold, blustery day in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, K-State was able uh, to score 10 points in the final quarter uh, to, to give them that winning margin and uh, put a cap on a nice 8-4 and four season uh, for Chris Kleiman and the Wildcats, and, and this being Chris Kleiman's first year at the helm of the Wildcats. I'm alongside D'Lu, of course, as always. Uh, D'Lu, great to see you here today. No, it's great to be here, Icon. It's, al- it's always a pleasure and never a chore. Uh, well, let's get into uh, this game against Iowa State. Let's just get right into it. Um, a game that we both thought that K-State would win. Uh, I don't know if we quite knew exactly what the weather situation was going to be with it uh, being... You know, thirty mile an hour winds probably throughout the uh, throughout the duration of the game, where it, you know gusted up to forty and fifty mile an hour at, at points. I'm sure, but it was a game where K State was able to uh, do most of their um, most of their work on the ground behind uh, behind that offensive line, and and it's an offensive line that's uh, awful senior laden, of course, as well. Uh, but they get to go out in style here uh, on the ground where they ran the ball. Uh, 49 times for 231 yards, a little over four and a half yards of carry. Uh, that was really the difference in this one in terms of what uh, K-State did uh, offensively. When you look at what uh, the passing game did, you know, not much to speak of, but uh, they leaned on uh, you know, Jordan Brown and Jacardia Wright uh, a lot here in this game in terms of, of how they got, got it done on the ground. Yeah, on a night where Skylar Thompson uh... – really struggled throwing the football. I mean, I think that that's uh, the elements had a lot to do with that. Sure. Uh, Thompson finishes a uh, five of 12 on the night uh, for 57 yards an interception and a fumble uh, that went the way of the Cyclones. So uh, a really uh, Skyler didn't add a whole lot to the, uh, to the final tally there. Although there were a few uh, important, Third down plays. I mean, the passes he did complete um, were were pretty big plays. Uh, Chab Taylor had a reception for 22 yards. Brooks reeled another one in for 19 yards, which was a really nice little uh, button hook that he was able to make a guy miss and take off and run for another uh, 10 yards or so. So good job there. And Youngblood uh, reeled in another one, another big one on third down. Uh, so, but in any event, that was that was really pretty much the extent of what Thompson was able to do. Um, and like you mentioned, K-State's offense really uh, relied on the running backs tonight. Uh, Gilbert had eight carries, but you didn't really see much of him as the game progressed. Uh, I think the coaches, uh, from what I've learned, the coaches since he was a little banged up and just started, it became a two-man show between Jacardia Wright and Jordan Brown. Jordan Brown, again, finally healthy. Uh, and probably his one of his, if not his absolute best game of the season. Best game for sure, I think, this season. I'd have to look back at his career numbers, again, uh, when he was at North Carolina, but I uh, have to think that that might be near a career day for him. Absolutely, and it was certainly a career day for Jacardia Wright in his young career so far. Uh, you know, I think the only other game Wright played in this year was the Bowling Green game. That's correct. And I, when I watch him in that game, 
I thought, man, this guy's got a lot of work to do. Just because he kind of ran upright in that game, if I remember correctly. Yep. He just didn't look very natural yep. running the ball. But on Saturday, man alive, he he looked like the real deal back there, um, especially on his long uh, 37-yard run uh, that really started twisting the screws on Iowa State there late in the game. Got K-State into field goal position. And uh, really, I, th- I think that when that happened, I said, okay, this – Pending something really weird, this game's over. Because mm-hmm. K-State's going to go up by two scores here, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, and K-State did just that. So really impressed with Jacardia Wright, and it was a nice finish for Jordan Brown. Um, and K-State's running game on the night uh, was very impressive, and that proved to be the difference in the game because, on the other hand, Iowa State's running game was uh, not the picture of efficiency. Uh, the defense no, did, a, did a great job locking down that down. But in terms of the offense, uh, really impressed with what K-State was able to do on the ground on a night that they really had to operate uh, on the ground. Well, yeah, and let's just kind of recap this game from the start. Obviously, uh, Josh Youngblood taking one to the house uh, on the opening kickoff, got K-State off to a great, as good of a start as you could ever ask for. Uh, taking it to the house, and of course, uh, today... Uh, was named Special Teams Player of the Year in the Big 12 Conference. So the first freshman ever to achieve the uh, Player of the Year for special teams, yeah. offense or defense. What a in what a great honor uh, that is for uh, Mr. Youngblood, and you know certainly well deserved. Uh, these last uh, you know the last few weeks, I think the last four weeks, um, three kickoff return, three for kickoffs for for a touchdown and. And those were all of those kickoff returns he had were you know impactful plays of course uh, in that game. I mean of course K State falls short to Texas in that game, but um, you pulled know K State within pulled them within three and uh, gave them a chance there. Uh, of course with the Texas Tech one obviously a big play, and then you know Iowa State you know you get into a uh, situation where. You're able to uh, to get out to a great start in a, in a game that uh, you know you really want to win to, to close out the season, but uh, that really gave uh, K State some life early on, and they needed it early on because um, you know Iowa State really had that wind at their back at that at that point in the first half, and they were able to uh, kind of keep K State in some bad field position throughout the first half uh, with K State's first real drive going. Uh, by the way, uh, of a punt, uh, Iowa State was set up uh, at the 40-yard line, and um, you know had a chance to uh, to go for it on fourth down. Illegal formation uh, is called to negate a Reggie Walker sack that would have gave us even better field position. Uh, you know, really being able to flip the field, but they were able to punt it off there, and uh, you know they kind of hemmed K State in. Uh, again there, and in case it really wasn't able to get anything going there in that first quarter, uh, but then when things kind of changed a little bit, uh, you know, as as uh, I thought, you know, in terms of just the running game, we mentioned Jacardi Wright, but I thought Skylar Thompson did a really good job running the ball as well, uh, especially in the option game. Yeah, and it was so funny because there were several times on Saturday uh, that it was just. So obvious that K State was going to run the option. Mm-hmm. If, if K State's in a position where it's about third and three, and K State's got a tight end on the same side of the field as the running back, and that running, and that side of the field happens to be the right side of the formation, then there's a good chance K State's running an option there, just because that's what that's the 
time we've run the option all season, especially like on Saturday when Iowa State's edge defender is lined up a little too far inside, and mm-hmm. it's really easy to get that outside leverage on him. And so it kind of a K-State kind of telegraphs that, uh, but it worked throughout the game on Saturday, and uh, I mean, I think every... Even a couple short side options on Saturday, by the That's way. That's right. Uh, especially a, a critical uh, short side option on third and two uh, there in the final quarter uh, where where K-State um, was was driving for the go-ahead score, and, and they get it there uh, picking up that uh, picking up that uh, third and two with a short side option. And, man, I think tear ran down my eye. Seeing that thing <laughs> executed to, to such – to such excellence there, and uh, it was a big play for K-State as they were uh, looking forward to uh, driving down there and getting, getting on the scoreboard. That's right, and and just to go back to what you mentioned earlier, when K-State was in, I mean, it felt like the first four or five drives of the game, at least, uh, for, for both teams, um, it was just characterized by Iowa State being set up with a short field and K-State mm-hmm. just holding serve and uh, forcing a punt. And then Iowa State uh, just pinning K-State back really deep. And, mm-hmm. and I think our first touchdown drive came off our own two-yard line, yeah. if I remember right. I mean, and so it was it was just a matter of K-State, K-State's offense needing to really try to do anything it could to flip the field, and it took a few drives. But credit to K-State's defense for giving them that kind of time because yeah. Iowa State was set up several times where they had just really 45 – 50 yards yeah. at the most before they, uh, you know, in terms of field position. Yeah, so Iowa State's uh, their first drive, obviously off the off the um, off the kickoff from the opening touchdown by Youngblood, uh, start out at the 35 yard line, and you know that's that's not too bad a field position. But their next two drives started on K State side of the field. Uh, well, K State side of the field one time at the 41. And then uh, just right past midfield at the Iowa State 45. So, you know, short fields to work with. And K-State was able to force three plays and out uh, both those times. And I want to kind of highlight what I thought was a really good job by, um, the, by the defensive line. I thought they did a good job of, of keeping Brock Purdy in situations where he oftentimes when he was throwing to wide receivers – was throwing off his back foot, never really looking comfortable back there, and uh, and K State had the opportunity. Uh, of course, the Wayne Jones uh, interception that uh, was over overturned due to the ball hitting the ground. Uh, I believe DeQuan Patton had another opportunity to intercept it, but just couldn't quite uh, reel it in. But you know, I thought the defense played in, in what's been a great season for them. Um, Really, all throughout the season, pretty consistent. Uh, I thought this was one of their better performances performances of the year uh, against the Cyclones on Saturday. Absolutely, and you know, again, part of that's because of the. I think part of that's because of the elements. Sure. Uh, they, yeah, it, it was a definitely an advantageous uh, advantageous conditions uh, for the kind of profile of the team that K State is uh, running the ball. Uh, you know, good defensive team. But uh, they de- they definitely showed up and played well uh, on Saturday in that regard. Yeah. So uh, credit to the defense for the vast majority of that first half, and really the entire second half, the defense played absolutely lights out. So 
good job by Scotty, Scotty Hazelton and the boys. Uh, and uh, because I think it's easy to look at a guy like Jordan Brown or Jacardia Wright and say, man, those guys were the ones who carried us today. But really, I think it was you can turn over to the defense and say these guys played just a lights out game against uh, one of the better backfields in the conference uh, yeah. between Purdy and Brees Hall. And Brees Hall's a guy who's really emerged here in the second half of the Big 12 season. Uh, I thought the defensive line in particular uh, did a fantastic job bottling up Brees Hall on a night where Iowa State really needed to establish the run and just wasn't able to do it. Well, and we mentioned Wyatt Hubert's, or well, we mentioned Josh Youngblood earlier as being an all Big 12 uh, kick returner. Uh, also, Wyatt Hubert was named the first team uh, all, all Big 12 as a defensive lineman today. Um, he was all over the place, uh, two tackles for loss. He was oftentimes in, in Purdy's face, uh, you know, hurrying him on his dropbacks. You know, the whole defensive line, I mean, I could go point out guys, uh, him, Kyle Ball, um, also I thought Reggie Walker had, had some really good plays uh, out there. He did have that one sack that was negated uh, by the uh, by the uh, illegal formation with Iowa State doing some shifting around early on in that game, which would have been you know, nice to have gotten the sack there rather than giving them a chance to punt it after that. But defensive line, I thought, was a strength of this team going into the season and uh, certainly showed up uh, here on Saturday. Yeah, I think Wyatt Hubert is uh... – well, I'm just gonna say I, I think he's the best player on our team, and I don't think I don't think second place is is very close. I think he is absolutely uh, one of the best players, uh, certainly one of the best defensive players in the conference, and is gonna make a strong push for defensive player of the year next year in the conference. Yeah, and he did receive some votes this year for defensive player of the year and defensive lineman of the year. He didn't quite win those awards, but no, certainly I think he's gonna be. Uh, you know, I'll go ahead and say I might even predict him to be defensive player, preseason defensive player in the year in the Big 12 next year. I, I think that's, I mean, I would want to look at the rosters. Oh, I'm not, I, I, I don't, don't even need to look at the rosters. But I think that Hubert is an absolute star, and I think that K-State fans better enjoy watching him next year because that might be uh, That might be it. That might be it because that guy is has a lot of the tools that uh, could get him playing professional football someday. Yeah, Shawnee Height product from uh, our state's capital in Topeka, Kansas, uh, doing some great things here at Kansas State. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about the offense. I mean, obviously not a, a great day from Skylar Thompson. Two turnovers, interception, and a fumble. What did you kind of see from him? You know, on the, whether if it's on those two uh, particular plays where he turns the ball over, or just kind of throughout the rest of his game on Saturday that that stood out to you. Well, I mean, I don't put too much stock into the game on Saturday, and especially his stat line, because, sure. you know, the 5 of 12, it, it's not great at first blush, but he all, there were also a couple drops mm-hmm. that, guys, Several. that yeah. guys really should have had. Um, and I think that's just a product of it being super windy and super cold, and yeah. it's just not the best condition to be throwing the ball. So I don't, I don't, I don't put a whole lot of stock into this game. I mean... You look at a guy like Brock Purdy, who's, I think, fair to say, one of the three best quarterbacks in the conference this yep. year, um, and he had a pretty dismal night as well, going only 15 of 30. Um, he was able to find a bit of a rhythm there in the second quarter uh, where there was K-State's linebackers, uh, specifically Daniel Green in particular, was biting on some of those play fakes inside, 
and leaving the slant right open over the middle. And Brock Purdy was able to uh, make some hay uh, on that quick little read. Um, but overall, uh, it was a pretty bad night all around uh, for quarterback play. But so in that respect, I don't. I'm not going to grill Thompson too much. I think it wasn't one of his. Better game, certainly, uh, but I think a lot of it had to do with just the lousy conditions. Yeah, I'll disagree with you a little bit on that. Um, I don't think the conditions really had anything to do with his interception. Uh, that was just a bad read. Uh, throwing it into you know, a well-covered uh, K-State receiver, if he would, if, um, well, I'm trying to see here, if it, if it wouldn't have been, um, gosh dang it, where's that? Who, who had the interception? Greg Eisworth. That's, the name was on the tip of my tongue. If Eisworth wouldn't have intercepted, there were another Iowa State player back there to intercept it. So I thought that was a bad read. And with the two turnovers coming where they did in the game, uh, two turnovers on, I believe, three plays. Oh, uh, they were back-to-back plays. Were they back-to-back? I thought, mm-hmm. they were, I thought there was a play in between. But uh, needless to say, giving Iowa State, um, in, they were able to go down there and uh, to take the lead uh, off that um, off that play, you have to look at the that defense saying, you know what, to give up two turnovers in plus territory and only be down three, pretty darn good. And that just gives you another you know illustration of how this defense you know, really, I think, uh, you know, shined especially bright on this game in, in terms of how K State got the win. Yeah, and to your point, I, I, I do agree that the turnovers were bad, um, that uh, the interception was bad, and the fumble was just another example of a lack Thompson. Of po- lack was, of pocket presence, yeah. Yeah, being a little lost in the pocket, not stepping up. I believe it was an edge rusher who just caught him at the deepest point in his drop back um, on the fumble. Um, but regardless, I, I think his just lack of numbers, I mean, Oh yeah, I, twelve pass attempts sure. on the on the night is probably the fewest he's had all year, save for maybe some of the Bowling Green, yeah, Nichols games. Time, yeah. But um, uh, so yeah, certainly room for improvement on this game. Certainly not one that he's going to uh, remember too favorably from a personal statistic perspective. Uh, but uh, it was on back to back plays. Those yeah, it was. I I did just look that up. So. That, that could have been a really big turning point in the game, obviously. But the defense, again, steps up, and yeah. you know those were the only three points of the second half for the uh, Cyclones. That's correct. And the really striking point on, uh, on Saturday for the defense was that they held Iowa State to only one of 13 on third down. Yeah, you know, and K-State's been great with that all throughout the year. Uh, one of the best in the country. Uh, some brutal... Mishaps on third down uh, this year. But yes, and they and they had a bad mishap on fourth down in this one, of course, a fourth and fourteen, and they allow a, a first down conversion for Iowa State's first touchdown. But yeah, I mean, for a team that's been so good on third down this year, the the ones that they have given up, you, you kind of have to scratch your head and say, man, how that happen? Yeah, and I think it's. Uh, who knows? I think it yeah. just guys getting lost a little bit in poor tackling. But in any event, on Saturday night, uh, the defense was certainly ready on third down and really just hamstrung Iowa State uh, 12 out of 13 times. Well, let me ask you just in not necessarily related to this game, but just from from your you know 
perspective, third down defense, I think, is such a critical part of of any game. I mean, if you can get a team off the field, you know, half the time on third down, you feel like that's pretty good, you know, throughout throughout a game. If if you're saying, you know, 45, 40 to 50% of the time we get them off the field on third down. That's probably about what the, the average is, I would say, give or take. Okay. But for KC, I believe going into the game, they were third in the nation in third down defense. I guess what I would ask you is, in, in from your perspective, how would you say in terms of, I don't know, is that necessarily a trait of, of a defense just saying, you know, being particularly tough on third down? I guess what do you think goes into, um, you know, how good K-State was on third down all season? Well, I think a big part of it is what are you doing on first and second down too? Sure. Because it's a lot easier to convert a third and one. Um, sure. Do way in first and second down. And, and so and be, I want to, I'm going to actually try to see if I can find, you know, what the average to go yardage is on that for K-State. But, but I, but I think that that impacts that has a big impact on the broader third down conversion stat is just team success rates on first and second down. Um, and so, but generally speaking, I think third down is uh, just, I think a lot of it has to do with the play call. I think it's just uh, teams kind of understanding what the offense is going to try to do in that particular situation. And then it's just a matter of guys going out there and executing for one more play. And that's like we talked about earlier on some of those really brutal conversions. It was Wayne Jones getting lost against West Virginia and just mm-hmm. losing a guy on third and 22, which is you, you cannot have. Um, and then conversely in the Texas game, it was just a, it was just a misread by uh, Scotty Hazleton bringing a heavy blitz and leaving a Texas uh, wide receiver wide yeah. open. Yeah. And you know, K-State, they do get a little bit more aggressive with the blitz on third down. It seems to me, uh, based off of kind of what they've done this season, but I think when you look at getting these guys, getting teams into passing situations, it really does allow what I think the strength of this team is, and that's the defensive line to kind of really get after the passer from a standpoint of hey, we're not having to you know stay gap sound necessarily here against uh, against the run. We know it's a throwing situation here. Let's sell out here and, and really you know meet each other at the quarterback here, and I think. When you look at K State defensive line with Reggie Walker, who's uh, was honorable mention all Big Twelve, Kyle Ball had had I mean not a not an all Big Twelve kind of guy, but oftentimes finds his way to the quarterback in, in some big situations. There's just enough depth on that defensive line to where they uh, they had some really good success there all season. Yeah, and, and some stats to throw your way because I know you're such a stat head. I am. Uh, K State finishes the regular season number two in the country. In terms of third down conversion percentage, uh, just uh, at 26, a little over 26%. Uh, you want to know who else is in the top five there? Yeah, yeah, tell, lay it on me, Dell. Uh, some pretty good company for K State. Number one, K State finished just behind Wisconsin. Uh, K State finished just ahead of Georgia, who was at third. Ohio State coming in at fourth. And number five in the country is Clemson. At uh, 27.88% on third down. And uh, last in the country icon was Kansas. Huh. Giving up uh, first down on third down uh, 53% of the time. 
So what what would you say about average is? About 40%? Well, the 65th team in the country is Boise State, and they allowed just under 40%. So f- when I said 50%, that was, I was way off. So yeah, you don't, you, don't want to be, you don't want to be allowing half... Uh, you don't want to be allowing first downs half the time. Um, oh, well, that, obviously not. That would land you... Uh, that would be very bad. Yeah, that would land you... Uh, a defense coming in at about 125th, 126th in the country in terms of third down conversion. Well, Dell, that's a good job by you, uh, getting that information available for us. And, you know, when you list off that top five, it, it's no surprise that you see traditional powerhouses in college football uh, there. Teams that get off the field on third down are, are teams that uh, often find themselves winning this time of year. Well, yeah, and, and it's I don't think that there's some special sauce in particular to third down. I think a lot of it is uh, – like I mentioned, playing good defense on first and second down, keeping teams behind the sticks, and you're much less likely to convert a third and long than you are a third and short. Uh, no question there. So uh, one other guy I want to mention too, Blake Lynch. Uh, kicking in some adverse conditions to say the least. I, I think in terms of as windy of a game, there's been a lot of talk about it. Is this the coldest K-State game you've ever been to? I don't think it is. I don't think it cracks the top Five. Yeah, I think, I mean, that would be another topic. I'd have to really think. And, but I, I didn't come away feeling very, you know, necessarily. It was cold, yes. But was I miserably uncomfortable? Not not necessarily. See, I think it was miserably uncomfortable, but not that cold. Huh. <laughs> I, I, well, I guess my, depends, seats, my yeah. seats are in the first row of the upper deck. Uh, and so it you were really just getting smacked in the face. Yeah, you would, um, you would be. But uh, I'll tell you what, though. First, my first thing I did when I got into the into the Bill Snyder Family Football Stadium on Saturday, I went to the K State Superstore. You went to the Cat's Closet, man. Yeah, I bought some mittens, man. Hey, how about that? They keep you warm. You bet. Well, it was very important on a day like that. And I uh, we were in the south end zone, so a little bit shielded from the direct line of the wind uh, as you were, but nonetheless, uh, Blake Lynch connected on a forty-three yarder. Uh, to give uh, K-State, uh, well, to tie them up, and then obviously uh, at, we'll tie them up at 17-17, and then uh, kick a, a short one uh, from about, I think it was like 24 yards, 25 yards, uh, essentially almost an extra point. But uh, nothing is guaranteed on, on a day like that uh, with, with how those conditions were. So uh, credit to him as well. Yeah, it was funny. I was listening to the Wildcat Locker Room show on my uh, way home on Saturday night, and uh, Matt Walters, Chili Dog. Yeah, Chili Dog. Who's yeah, of a course. baller, by the way. Uh, no, no doubt here. Uh, he was talking to Blake, and or maybe it was Wyatt. He had him on ahead. I don't know who, who was talking to him. But um, they were like, so, you know, on that third down where they just kind of got the ball into position, to, or they, they ran the ball, but they put it over on the right hash mark, I believe. Yes, correct. And they were like, was that to help you? Can it, was that the angle you wanted? And Blake Lynch was like, no. <laughs> no, that's absolutely not. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't what I wanted, but uh, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> he was like, thanks, guys. The the score that matters here. Because at that point in the game, there was really no functional difference between a touchdown and a field goal. You just needed to get up by nine points somehow. Mm-hmm. You, you know, there's not a huge difference between 10 and 14 at that point because you didn't think Iowa State was going to get two more touches in the game. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, guys, just 
make this just shoot for a field goal here and we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought it was funny, just the a little bit of lack of foresight from either uh, the K State running back. I forget whether it was Jordan Brown or Jacardia. Uh, Jacardia. Yeah, Jacardia. I'm not sure. Well, the I look for the pronunciation guide on K State's website. I think it's I I've always just called him Jacardia, so I don't know if that's right or not. Yeah, uh, we'll, I think we'll have that's to do right. some further digging, but I wasn't able to find a pronunciation guide. Well, in there. any event, uh, I thought it was funny that poor little Blake Lynch, and I mean little, um, was <laughs> kind of hamstrung by the ball placement there. <laughs> well, Dill, Blake Lynch comes up big as he drills a 24-yard field goal to give K-State the win. Oh, we have Brian Haney in the studio tonight. Oh, no, I was just I was just, oh, that, I was oh. just being, I was just acting like him. Oh, you're the icon. He, he Brian wasn't able to make it in. We did ask him to kind of come in and rehash a little bit of that KU loss to Baylor 61 to 6 but he had scheduling conflicts so we'll, we'll of course try to you know stay in touch with Brian uh, during the off season here and you know as there is no off season really here on the short side option the, the, the we, grind uh, is 24/7 365 yeah. open on Sundays my man that's right hey and pass the coffee <laughs> give me a pour over man <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway let's uh, let's put a wrap up on the uh, the Iowa State game here K-State loses a, a tough one to them last year, of course. Uh, a huge comeback by Iowa State there in the fourth quarter uh, to end uh, a decade-long losing streak to K-State in that one. But uh, K-State gets back on the right side of things against Iowa State. This was as um, maybe save the Oklahoma game, as satisfying of a win uh, that K-State had this season, and, and maybe the KU game too. But in terms of the level of competition and you know how K State had to go out and do it in this one, uh, you have to come away feeling really good about uh, about how K State closes out the season. Oh, I, I totally agree. I mean, and especially because you know Iowa State's kind of the in vogue program, the Big Twelve right now, kind of seen as a program on the rise. Uh, Matt Campbell's along with Lincoln Riley, but the wonderkind of the Big Twelve in terms of, of coaches. And you just look at a program coming into the season, there didn't seem to be a program in the Big 12 with more momentum, upward momentum, than Iowa State. And for Kleiman to uh, come out and beat Iowa State by, by two scores, which was their biggest margin of defeat all season. That's right. And, and on a night when K-State's only offense, and really the only consistent offense for either team, was running the football um, I think it was extremely impressive uh, what K-State did and how K-State's offense was able to really impose their will through the ground game on a, a pretty good Iowa State defense and how K-State's defense, on the other hand, was able to completely shut down um, Iowa State's rush offense, which had been gaining some real traction over the last uh, you know two-thirds of the season with Brees Hall kind of uh, coming onto the scene. And so... Uh, can't say enough positive things uh, about uh, this win. It felt like a big win for the program, um, just because in recruiting circles and certainly in the, you know, perception-wise, these are seen right now as kind of peer programs. I think. Sure. And for K State to uh, to take scoreboard from Iowa State, I think was a pretty important victory for for Chris Kleiman. Yeah, and I think that's really well said uh, there, Dell. Uh, also, too, I, I just was—I um, was also listening 
to uh, the Wildcat uh, postgame show on uh, the Learfield Sports Network, K-State Learfield uh, Sports Network. And uh, there was talk a little bit about a certain pattern that has developed with this K-State team. Yeah, I, I think I heard that too. Did you hear that as well? And uh, folks, like I said, trust the pattern, my man. You heard it here first. And Wyatt? Chili Dog? Stan? We just want to say hello. We're glad to have you as listeners. Absolutely. Uh, where we, uh, we... By the way, speaking of Stan, speaking of... Oh, did, did you... Yeah, he yeah. gave it a passion. <laughs> uh, man, that would... I, I remember, you know, on the drive home listening that, I almost... I really honestly wanted to just pull off to the side of the road and perform the Oklahoma drill. I, I was ready to go. I, 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 I think a single tear ran down my face. And for our listeners who... Who weren't listening to the post-game show, and if if you weren't, what what the hell were you doing? Shame on you! Shame on you! But Stan uh, Stan Weber, uh, as the show's wrapping up with he and Wyatt, Stan just goes into this tirade, talking about how proud he is of K State and about how at K State we may not have all the five-star athletes and this and that. We may not have the the best facilities in the country. But you know what we do have? We have trust in each other. And we have guys who love each other. And at K-State, that's what matters. And that's not verbatim, but it was along those same lines. Yeah, along those lines. And I don't know what it is, but Iowa State just seems to bring bring it out in the stand. And, you know, yeah, because, I mean, of course, uh, two years ago. His hair was going away. His his hair was going away. K-State went. Yeah, that was great. That was a great call there by Stan, yeah. uh, of course. And um, but uh, a, a big win for K State, twenty seven to seventeen over the Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, K State finishes the season eight and four, five and four in Big Twelve play. Good enough for a tie for third in the conference. A uh, team that was picked ninth uh, by uh, by the coaches or by the uh, by the media rather, excuse me. And the conference comes out and uh, outperforms that in true K State fashion. And uh, we will find out on Sunday afternoon where K-State will, um, will look to go to a bowl game. Uh, obviously, some options still out there, whether if it's in Florida for the Camping World Bowl, uh, Alamo Bowl, uh, Texas Bowl, uh, all are options among many others. But uh, certainly uh, lots of options out there for K-State, uh, and we wait with uh, anticipation to see where they'll be at. That's right, and we're uh, looking forward to it. And uh, hopefully K-State can uh, finish the pattern. Well, we, we can certainly hope so. And we believe that they will. I, I, or at least I shouldn't put words in your mouth, but I'm, I don't care who they play. They're going to win. The data suggests that they will 100% win. Yep, that's right. So, d let's uh, make a transition here. Let's uh, hang up the uh, shoulder pads and helmets, trade those in for some basketball sneakers. Because K-State's got a big one this Saturday. Uh, in Bramwich against a Marquette team that, uh, quite frankly, not okay. So Mar- last year when we went to Marquette, they were a, I believe they were a ranked team. Uh, Marcus Howard is still there, but this Marquette team doesn't quite have the same level of talent across the board. But this is a big early test for K State. Obviously, going to Fort Myers, dropping those two games to uh, Pitt and Bradley. Have K-State kind of saying, you know what, this non-conference schedule, we'd really like to get a big win here. We didn't, things didn't go the way we wanted to down in Florida. But um, let's see what we can do against a Marquette team uh, 
Uh, also five and two. Both teams uh, come into this one five and two. Marquette uh, is actually tipping off here uh, in a little bit tonight uh, against, I believe it is. I'm getting this pulled up uh, against uh, Jacksonville, the uh, the Dolphins. So that'll be a slobber knocker. That will be the. That's a Mark Turgeon's old school. That's where he first got his start in coaching, uh, the Jacksonville Dolphins. How about that? Hmm. Uh, but they uh, they'll tip off tonight, so uh, you know they'll probably close to an easy one. Uh, they'll be six and two at the time they play K State, but uh, a big game. So Drew, I know you your focus has been primarily on football here, but we've been watching Bruce. Yeah, we've been we, watching the hardwood, and you know it's not been a it's not been a very pretty start to the season for K State. But just kind of through seven games here for the Wildcats, what are your kind of thoughts here, just on a broad level, of what uh, you've seen from the Wildcats thus far? Well, somebody who hasn't paid that close of attention to K-State basketball yet this year, uh, it seems like we're garbage. <laughs> it seems like we're pretty bad. You're, yeah, I mean, that's the games that K-State has played. You know, you look at, uh, you know, the, obviously the two games in Florida. didn't K-State should have won that Pittsburgh game, but then – didn't play well against Bradley, but in the games that they have, uh, you know, won whether if it's against Arkansas Pine Bluff, Florida A and M, Monmouth, you just watch these games and you don't feel like the level of uh, intensity, the level of crispness uh, with how they're running offense or you know what they're doing defensively is quite there yet. So this is a big opportunity here for for K State to uh, to welcome a big time uh, program out of the Big East into your home gym. And uh, national television audience, uh, 7 o'clock on, uh, or actually, excuse me, 8 o'clock on ESPN, gives you a great chance to uh, to get this season uh, off on a little bit better footing. Yeah, and, you know, if there's one thing that the Scorpion has taught me, well, and there's a lot more than one thing, frankly, but one thing he's taught me is that his teams typically uh, don't, traditionally look great early on in the season. No, it, yeah, and that's one thing I was going to say, too, is I've been, you know, I'm I'm pretty big college basketball fan. I'm, I'm always following uh, the hoop scene here. And you look at any team in college basketball right now, maybe save a few, um, you know, like your Louisville's look pretty good, Michigan's looked really good, except for last night where they lost to Louisville. But – Everyone's had some struggles, especially, I mean, you even look in the conference, Texas Tech, who was preseason top 15, even got, I believe, their way in the top 10. They go out and they drop two in their tournament, and, and they do it in kind of underwhelming fashion. So early on the season, it's always a little bit of a, of, a, of a choppy pattern there in terms of you're just not getting great shooting, whether you're not, you're getting new guys in the rotation, shots aren't falling, whatever the case is. It's easy to chalk these first, you know, ten or so games up as, hey, we're just kind of trying to find our way here. Yeah, but you have to be careful doing that because you can really spoil your season if you let sure. it get too out of control. I mean, the K State's losses have been bad, and that's going to cost them. I mean, come, uh, you know, when you're looking at tournament resumes, I think that th those are the losses we're going to look back and think, man, we wish we could have had that back. Um, and so it's it's easy to chalk this up to early season, but these these games matter too. And mm -hmm. so K State needs to be careful uh, not to get too lethargic and fall too far down the hole, or it could really cost them uh, come March. Well, so with Marquette, I'll just give a little bit of a preview here. 
uh, with what Marquette brings to the table. When you talk about Marquette this year, you don't have to go a whole lot further than uh, Marcus Howard. Uh, Marcus Howard, Dynamo guard last year, I believe, scored 41 against us in uh, in uh, the Pfizer Forum last year on, uh, in a game that K-State just never really got much rhythm in uh, with um, Barry Brown being saddled with some early foul trouble. K-State loses one of their best defenders, probably the best defender on the team, maybe in the in the conference, uh, who is going to be charged with checking Marcus Howard. They lose him early. I would expect K-State uh, to throw a couple different guys at Marcus Howard, whether if it's, uh, I think, Cartier Jada will draw that initial matchup, which Cardi has the ability uh, to stay in front of anybody with his length. But Marcus Howard is a guy who will shoot it from any, any sort of range. He has no conscience, and he has the green light. So a guy like that is going to be a dangerous person uh, anytime that they get on the court. But uh, K-State knows it firsthand from, from their uh, run-in with him last year. And didn't you say that Marquette had a little bit of attrition over the offseason? Yeah, they did. <laughs> because guys were just like, screw this. Well, so they had the Hauser brothers. Uh, I believe Sam and Joey Hauser are their names. Uh, one transferred uh, to Michigan State, was going to try to get eligible this year, but was not able to. So, I mean, these these guys were highly recruited uh, set of twins here. And, you know, it's pretty easy to see, like, hey, man, I'm I'm a highly recruited guy. I don't hardly ever get to touch the ball. This jerk less, over here I, shooting it for I don't, I don't, tonight. I don't need to just be setting screens and passing to get Marcus Howard shots from 35 feet away. Pass the ball to Marcus. So I do wonder if there was a little bit of that in there. It's not hard to see how that, uh, that line of thinking uh, would go on. But uh, this Marquette team is going to be a player in the, in the Big East. Uh, guys like Theo John uh, are names from last year. Uh, Sakir Anim, also a guy uh, that uh, you may re- recognize from last year and some of these previous Marquette teams. But this is a Marquette team that's going to push the tempo a little bit, uh, high-flying offense, and if K-State's going to win this game, they're going to have to uh, defend uh, at a lot better clip than what they showed last night or earlier, I guess, on Monday night against um, – Against that or against Florida A and M, FAMU, FAMU, because uh, there was just some lackadaisical play, guys not closing out correctly, guys just kind of getting lost in transition. Um, Going to take a lot, lot sharper of a performance. And K State had problems defending that big old dog that FAMU. Yeah, L three L three four. Yeah, thirty four. Man, yeah. that guy's a hoss. That guy made Thomas Gibson look like a. Pipsqueak. Yeah, you made him look like a welterweight out there. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, too, about K-State. One guy that I've been a little disappointed with is uh, the bell cow, McCall Mayween. I thought he just hasn't quite looked himself yet this season. And if K-State's going to be able to beat Marquette and uh, also or, and just do further things on and as uh, the season evolves, we're going to have to get more out of him. Uh, I think that's been um, one of the – disappointment so far in my opinion yeah we need to get him back to chewing grass and cleaning glass baby well we uh we can only hope so because it's gonna it's gonna take a full team effort uh Dilo, i'm gonna put you on the spot right now oh you're gonna ask me for for a prediction yeah i think <laughs> expert yeah let's get this basketball college k-state basketball expert I, in I, here. you know you're 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 just dipping your feet in here as as uh as basketball season is now uh, with football winding down, basketball is about ready to become upon us here. What's your prediction here for this game? 
Hmm. Let's see here. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say K State wins this game pretty comfortably. Uh, I'm gonna go K State uh, seventy one and Marquette sixty. Hmm. Sixty eight. Okay, so a comfortable three point win for K State <laughs> right. in that one. Well, okay. The, the score is closer than it than it really should be. Some late Marcus Howard shooting half quarter, you know, half quarters late. You know, it's a comfortable six point game, and he banks one in, cuts it to single digits. Oh yeah, K State's not sweating this at any point in the game, but but only wins by three. Okay, I like it. What's your prediction, Icon? You're the real expert. Well, this is going to be a tough matchup for K State. I I have visions of last year Marcus Howard raining down threes on on K State and. Uh, you know, having himself a day. I think this year, my biggest concern about K State in this one is not necessarily shutting down Marcus Howard because I think that's about almost impossible to do. He's going to go out and get 20 points probably. Uh, Maryland, who played him earlier this year, did a really good job of denying him the ball and saying, you know what, the, we're going to let these four other guys out here beat us. We're not going to. We're not going to let Marcus Howard do it. I think K-State may employ some of those similar tactics. It's kind of like Michael Jordan, the Jordan rules. Don't let this guy touch the ball. You might see some of that. Uh, we'll call it the, the Howard rules uh, for K-State. But it's going to take a team effort, of course, defensively, uh, running multiple guys at him. I think Snead's going to get an opportunity on him sometimes. I think um, I think uh, Jada will probably start, start out on him. Mike McGurl will probably have his opportunity. And uh, I think Sean Williams will also uh, get an opportunity to guard him. So I think K-State will throw some bodies at him. Unfortunately, my bigger concern with K-State right now is where they're going to find the offense from. And uh, I think in this game, with K-State's just haven't quite looked like they're real sharp yet offensively, this is a game K-State can definitely win. But I'm going to call for a Marquette win. Uh, I'm going to go 67-60. to Comfortable. Or close. Is it a close 67-60 or is it a... It's a nip-and-tuck game throughout, but I think Marquette just has a little too much firepower, and I think they pull away from KC at the end. All right, well, the icon and I see this one coming out a little bit differently. Well, I feel I feel kind of a little nervous being on the opposite side of such an expert like you. Well, you know what? I uh, I have a good eye for this type of thing. You know, you, you I've always admired that from you, Drew, and... You know, I'm looking here at this case at how things have gone here for K-State. It might be a little too early to see if it's the same kind of pattern, but I've seen four straight wins for K-State coming out of the gate, followed by two losses. Of course, K-State gets on the right side of things against Florida A&M. Could three consecutive wins be coming? I guess we'll have to tune in and find out, won't we? I guess so. So, well, folks, that'll do it here for us. So you've seen it. Uh, 7168 K State. I'm seeing at 6760 Marquette. That's right. So, folks, that'll do it here for the Iowa State review and Marquette preview portion. Uh, should be a fun game. Uh, ESPN 2, 8 o'clock on Saturday, where K State will take on Marquette. After a short break, we will come back and recap how our preseason Big 12 uh, team predictions uh, fare this year. Uh, we, of course, gave you some win totals early on the season. We'll look back to see how we did. Uh, Dilu will also highlight another in the long line of Wildcat legends. And we'll answer your questions 
in this week's Ask the Icon segment. Join us after the break. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast, where now we are getting into a segment that we like to call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, I'm just going to come right out and say it. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Please don't. Because this man needs no introduction. I'm talking, of course, I could only be talking about the big man, Mighty Joe Hall. You're right. No introduction needed for, for Big Joe. The big fella. Uh, Joe Hall was an absolute monster. He was an absolute terror. And uh, was quite a force for the Wildcats in his two years toting the football. Uh, a native of Compton, California, uh, Joe Hall lettered two years for the Wildcats after transferring from Palomar Community College. In his career at K-State, he totaled 864 rushing yards and nine touchdowns on 160 carries. So pretty good uh, average clip there for the big fella. Uh, And in uh, 1999, his junior year, he carried for 613 yards and six touchdowns. And that season featured a stretch of three games where Hall had 100 100 rushing yards. Um, And his career best that season came against Utah State. And I think uh, everybody was pretty impressed with that. If you if you remember back, that was the game. Frank Murphy was sidelined with an injury. David Allen tweaked his leg coming into that, or uh, in the first quarter of that game, I mm-hmm. believe. Yep, that's right. And then Joe Hall comes in, and those Utah State Aggies probably had no clue what they were getting themselves what they were getting yeah. themselves into because you talk about a change of pace back from David Allen to Joe Hall. That's a whole different animal. And and perhaps one of my favorite calls ever uh, for K-State, this wasn't the Utah State game. This was the Louisiana Tech game where Hall busted out a, a, a huge carry, and we had the great uh, call by Greg Sharp uh, of Joe Hall uh, striving for the end zone. That's right. Get there, baby! Get in there, baby! But uh, Joe Hall, an absolute legend in his playing days, but uh, is now, of course, a member of the K-State University uh, football staff. That's right. Is I believe his title so, is... I, I got a, yeah, I got pulled up right there, but you do as well. Director of Football Student Athlete Development and Lead uh, Meme Coordinator. <laughs> because, yeah. Because that guy is quite an artist. And the work he does, the content he pushes out on social media is on a whole nother level. Second to none. And... You know, when I when I think of Joe Hall, I think of a guy. Uh, you think of an artist. I think of, <laughs> I think of an artist. Whether he had he has many forms of art. His memes, his memes are top notch, and also his ability to truck people. That's a, that's also an art. That's an art in and of itself. I mean, he's his photo editing is impressive, but also his video. His videos are pretty good too. He had a yeah, he, he had an Instagram nice earlier today, where or uh, earlier this week rather, where he's just in his office and he's taking a video of kind of his view from his office and scrolls around the room and shows the K State football schedule where the L's, uh, the losses K State had this year aren't losses, no, but instead they're lessons. That's right. And so, uh, quite a quite an art. From Joe Hall. The artiste. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, he, uh, he, he obtained his bachelor degree from K-State uh, the same year I did. 2012. Oh, okay. How do you like that? 
That's very nice. But then he went on and got a Master's of Science in Management from Mid-American Nazarene in 2015 and a Master's in School Counseling from K-State in 2017. And he's currently working towards his doctorate degree in organizational leadership. So uh, kind of a legend in, on the gridiron and on the coaching staff and the memes, but also in the classroom as well. That's right. And, you know, it's that kind of um, it's that kind of work that he's put in in all areas that, uh, you know, makes him one of the greats here at K-State. Yeah, that's right. And, and this isn't his first uh, job coaching. No, no. Uh, he, of course, was at uh, Mid-American Nazarene College in Olathe, where he was doing a great job for them. And now he's doing a great job for us uh, back in uh, Manhattan. Mid-American Nazarene, the pioneers. That's right. And they, they do a great job over there. They do. The, the pioneer, pioneer pride is the battle cry out there. That's exactly right. And so it's for all these reasons, whether he's uh, getting it done trucking uh, Utah State Aggies, or whether he's uh, in the classroom getting it done in the, with the academics, whether he's creating memes, memes, and pushing out incredible content, uh, or whether he's uh, coaching as well. And in, in the classroom, absolutely. Yeah, and so for all of these reasons, Joe Hall is this week's Wildcat legend. Well, Dell. Great job, as always, with the Wildcat legend. Of course, Joe Hall uh, joins a, a long list of Wildcat legends, and uh, that list is really unlimited because uh, there are legends in each, each era of K-State sports, and we're happy well, to bring mostly, them. They mostly tend to be from, like, 2006 to 2008, <laughs> kind of those. <laughs> yeah, that, that seemed might be the sweet spot for the legends, but they, they extend even further. And, yeah. and we'll be sure to highlight those as as we move on here on the short side option. Uh, speaking of moving on. That's what we're, we're doing right now. We're going we're gonna to do that right now. And we're going to give a look back at our preseason season win totals. Uh, of course, the season's over now. Regular season is anyway. And... Uh, Let's just go through the list here real quick, uh, D. Lou. We both nail Oklahoma. Uh, their season win total was at 10.5. Uh, they finished the season 11-1 in the Big 12 uh, in the Big Twelve title game, right where we thought they would be. Now, we both didn't do so well on who we thought was going to meet the Longhorns in that Big 12 title game. We both saw Texas. Uh, being the ones that would meet them there. And uh, Texas, uh, their season win total this year, 9.5. We both had them going over. And, or, well, excuse me. You had them uh, going under that. They had nine wins. And uh, I had them going over, and uh, they fall at 7-5 and five this year uh, for the Horns. So a disappointing season uh, on the 40 acres there, but uh, we'll, we'll continue on here. Uh, next, in terms of the highest, was Iowa State uh, preseason wise. They were at eight wins. They finished out at seven and five. Uh, Dealey, you had them going nine and three. Yeah, that's right, nine and three. It's mm. a loser. I had them going eight and four. Also a loser. Yeah. So, not uh, a <sighs> rough season. So, we, we miss on. 
We miss on Texas, and we miss on Iowa State. Let's go to TCU. They were uh, after Iowa State at seven and a half wins. The cycle or the the uh, the Horn Frogs. They miss a bowl game this year. They go five and seven. Uh, Dilu, you had them at six and six. So you win this one on the on the season win total of going uh, under uh, seven and a half. Uh, I had them also going six and six. So we uh, we so get back that one. We get that one back there. Uh, next Baylor. Now I'm awful proud of myself. I liked Baylor a lot this year. I should have liked them more. Uh, they go. Uh, Eleven and one this season in what was a, a really a nice year. They had a nice season. They had, they had a nice season. Uh, the Baylor Bears did, and uh, they fly over seven and a half wins. I had them going nine and three. You had them going six and six. So uh, bad job by you there, Dilo. Bad job by me. Uh, Oklahoma State next up on the list. Uh, their season win total at seven. You had them going eight and four, Dilo. I had them going seven and five. They finish out the season eight and four, hmm. so right on the right on bullseye. That one. Bullseye. I had them pushing, which was, you know, I get my money back. Yeah, well, you probably don't play that line. What's that? You, I mean, if if you have them pushing, you're not playing a a line that has them pushing, right? What do you mean? I mean, well, if their over under was was their over under seven? Yeah, their over under was seven. So you're probably not playing that. If you think that, that that line is set exactly right, you're probably oh not probably playing. not. I'm probably yeah. keeping that money in the pocket there. Right. But if I did, if you did, we would have uh, gotten our money back. Texas Tech. Oh, I was strong for the Red Raiders, and you were wrong for the Red Raiders. Well, Alan Bowman got uh, hurt. yeah save the sob. And story you also list. have the KU fiasco as well. Hey, sorry, man. They were a couple raw deals. They got some raw deals. Texas season. Tech finishes four and eight this season. Uh, Dealer, you do you remember what you had them going this year? Uh, I remember I was pretty high on them. I'll say I don't know seven and five. You had them going uh, the exact opposite of four and eight. You had them going eight and four. Uh, uh. So uh, that's a bad job by uh, Dealer there. I you know I had Texas Tech going four and eight this year. Oh, you must have uh, known that Alan Bowman was going to get hurt. That's why they call me the icon, man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, uh, that was uh, another bad job by you there with uh, the Red Raiders. Mm-hmm. K-State, five and a half was the season win total. We both had them going over at six and six. Good job by us. We underestimated a little bit. But hey. Ticket cash is just the same, baby. Exactly right. Uh, Western Virginia, they were at five wins as their season total. Uh, I had them going four and eight. You had them going four and eight as well. They finish five and seven. That is a push. Okay. KU, three wins was the total there. I had them going two and ten, so I had an underplay there. You had them going three and nine, so it's a push for you. It's a loss for me. Yeah, I think you know. I think I just I got pretty close to nailing it with KU. I I mean I. I had them going two and three in the non-conference. Yeah, stealing a conference win. Yep. And I think you probably had them going two and three in the conference and in non-con. And, and I had them going winless a conference. Play. So the the difference was that uh, fiasco at Texas Tech. Yeah. So uh, you know, certainly a um, a fun season to do this. I think we did a pretty good job handicapping. 
Of course, when we look back at it now, uh, Dilo, you know, your your big miss was Texas Tech. But when you kind of look back at, uh, you know, what your predictions were at the beginning of the season, now that the season's wrapped up, what sticks out to you? Maybe something, you know, like, hey, I should have saw that, or, man, why did I think this about this team? Anything jump out to you? No, not really. I mean, obviously the story of the season of the Big 12 was Baylor's uh, Baylor's year, and I think that, you know, you credit to you, you had Baylor having a, a really breakout year, and you were... Not many people agreed with you, I don't think, that, that Baylor was primed to really make the leap to the really the top of the conference yeah. along with Oklahoma. But uh, but otherwise, I thought the year, uh, nothing extremely surprising outside of Baylor this year in the conference. Well, I, and I should say K-State as well. I think yeah, that, K-State going in for. I, I don't think many people expected that. Certainly not the boys out in the desert. Certainly not us. And certainly not many of the Big 12 riders who uh, were the preseason uh, the, the preseason pickers. But you know what? We let the pickers pick and the players play. And that's exactly right. And when I look back at Baylor, the reason why I like them uh, to go over their win total of 7.5 was you just looked at that easy, you looked at the easy non-conference. There's three in the bag already. And then I looked at that early non-conference, or that early conference schedule. You get Iowa State at home. You go on the road to K-State, Texas Tech at home, Oklahoma State on the road, West Virginia at home. I was thinking through their first nine games, they should be, if the, through their first eight or nine games, they should have six or seven wins already. Right. And then they just need between uh, TCU, Oklahoma, Texas, and KU to get one more to get you to that eight wins, uh, eight win plateau. I had them losing uh, to. I remember I had them losing to Oklahoma and Texas. I can't remember exactly where the other loss came from, but you know, credit to Matt Rule and the job that he did at Baylor. Um, obviously, you know they're playing a big game this week. I mean, they're they're right there in terms of you know an outside chance of of getting to the college football playoff and. In a year that um, you saw some teams kind of come out of nowhere, like Minnesota out of the Big Ten and uh, Baylor, probably the two biggest um, surprises from a national perspective. You know, Baylor's still right there here as we enter uh, the final uh, week of the season. And you just have to wonder uh, had Baylor not blown that enormous first half lead yeah. against Oklahoma, uh, where they'd be sitting right now. But I think it's safe to say they'd be sitting at. Shoot, probably number four in the nation, and you'd wonder. It, you'd wonder for I, sure. I would certainly. I would think that they'd be above Georgia. At the you moment. would hope so. Um, they, they, they. In my opinion, they should be. No question yeah, in that hypothetical. But, but a lot of those games uh, before then, uh, the Iowa State game, obviously, uh, the Texas Tech game, also comes to mind. Those those kind of coin flip outcomes. Uh, they found themselves on the right side. They found of. themselves on the right side. So credit to Matt Rule. Uh, great season for Baylor, and. Uh, Certainly, the surprise of the year in the Big Twelve, and one of the surprises of the in the entire country. Yeah, um, let's give a quick prediction, real quick, if if I can, on this uh, Big Twelve championship game between Baylor and Oklahoma, uh, eleven o'clock kickoff uh, on Saturday. I believe it's on ABC, where they will be taking on Oklahoma. Both teams have to feel if they win this game, and if Oregon is to uh, upset. Utah in the Pac-12 championship game on Friday. 
excuse me, and LSU takes care of business against Georgia, you have to feel like both teams feel like they should probably be playing for a shot in the playoff. Yeah. And, um, you know, at this point, you know, it, it looks likely, I would say, that the Big 12 gets two teams to either the college football playoff, New Year's Six type, type bowls with Oklahoma and Baylor being those two teams. But I'm curious, what do you see uh, in, in kind of this game uh, be- between Oklahoma and Baylor? Uh, of course, OU's favored by nine points, but gosh, the way I see Baylor playing lately down the stretch, you have to really like their chances. Well, yeah, that, that line seems a little wide to me. Um, I, I thought it would be within a touchdown, um, especially considering how closely these two teams played when they played the first round. Um, but I, I think Oklahoma is the better team, and I think Oklahoma gets it done on Saturday. But, man, I, I, it wouldn't shock me at all if, if Baylor came out and went and won that game, just because I think Baylor's defense is good, and I think they're good enough to stop uh, Jalen Hurts. Um, and I think if, if Baylor's offense can get going and kind of be able to utilize those wide receivers, uh, I think Oklahoma could find themselves in an absolute dogfight on Saturday. You know, Oklahoma did impress me against Oklahoma State. Uh, they kind of took out, came out and took control of that game early on and never really uh, felt threatened in that one. Baylor's played really well. They smacked down Texas pretty good. And, you know, of course, dismantled KU last week. But, you know, when I look at this Baylor game in Baylor and Oklahoma, I have to think back to that first game uh, when Oklahoma and Baylor hooked up uh, in Waco. You know, Baylor looked as dominant as you could in that uh, in the first half, and then Oklahoma looked as dominant as you could in the second half. So you really wonder what, uh, for the second time, when these two teams get together, how it's going to look. I see it the same way you do. I think Oklahoma just has a little bit more experience in these kind of big games. And i got to go with Lincoln Riley and the Sooners in this one. But I think it's going to be a, a knockdown, dragout game. And I think that Oklahoma is going to get the W against Baylor. And I think it will be enough to get them to the college football playoff. Depending of on of course what happens in the SEC championship. Yes, it, it, provided if Georgia is able to upset LSU, the SEC will get two teams in. In barring anything crazy in the uh, Ohio State Wisconsin game and uh, Clemson versus Virginia, I don't really see anything going too wild in those games. But that I think will be your final four teams, uh, provided that. Uh, LSU is able to beat Georgia. If LSU is able to beat them, I think it's going to be LSU versus Oklahoma and Clemson versus Ohio State. And that will be your four teams. Well, there you go. There we have it. So a little recap on the Big 12 this season and a little preview for the game in Arlington this weekend. Really looking forward to watching that one. I think that's going to be, you know, a lot of the eyes I know are going to be with LSU, Heisman Trophy, uh, the presumptive winner, Joe Burrow, Taking on, uh, taking on Georgia, but man, I'll tell you what, this OU Baylor game is really going to have my eyes. Pretty fun game uh, for the season finale for the Big Twelve. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get into our final segment on the show. Uh, this is a segment that we call AVI, where listeners can uh, a the short side options very own I 
whatever question they want. You know, if you think of, uh, you know, a lot of people like to ask us sports questions. Some people like to ask us uh, kind of zany pop culture questions and kind of get funny with it. But some people like to ask us questions about uh, philosophy and and our thoughts on uh, on some of the uh, more thoughtful aspects of of life of, of life. Yeah, and those questions can be submitted uh, to us via the Short Side Options Twitter account, which is at tsso underscore podcast, or by tweeting uh, using the hashtag #AskTheIcon or AVI, or um, don't forget the carrier pigeon. Yeah, don't forget the carrier pigeon. The coop has been refurbished. Uh, yeah, and or maybe make pull up to the side of our apartment buildings and shine a big flashlight and make shadow puppets. And maybe we'll watch and be able to glean your question that way too. Don't forget telepathy. And, te- and telepathy as well. But in any event, our first question this week comes from listener SteveZ60 uh, via text message. Oh, okay. Um, I always like to know the route that these messages Yeah, just, to, just yeah. for those keeping track at home. Uh, Steve's first question, he has a, a oh, double header. Oh, okay. Well, I hope I'm ready. Um, yeah, so his first question is, if you got to go through our football schedule this year and you knew our, sched- you knew our win-loss was going to be 8-4, and four, would you have done it any other way than it happened? So if you could rearrange our wins and losses, would you? Yeah, I would. All right. I would get rid of that West Virginia loss, and I would sub that one out for... I know. Oh, golly. I'm thinking here because the one thing... that's it, it's a That was a bad loss for K-State to lose to them. But then if you're going to take that, you have to take away a win, of course. And for me... Gosh, maybe TCU, but that wouldn't have been much worse either, I guess. What about Mississippi State? That wasn't a very good. Lo- that wouldn't be a very good loss either, really. But I don't really care, and it wouldn't be so bad if Mississippi State was a seven-win team. Yeah, that would that would probably be the one if I had a stretch. But you know what? That was a really fun one to have though, because you kind of are flying high three and zero going in the bye week and starting conference play. So, uh, to answer his question, I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I think I'd leave it the same. I think I would. I think I'd rather have... Uh, that extra conference win? Lost to Mississippi State. Have K-State be in sole position of third in the Big 12 Conference. And, uh, and, and, have, and have that. I think that would be a little better. I mean, the, the out-of-conference win was great. And it was nice to get a big W on the road in an SEC venue. Yeah. But... Um, Damn, man, that West Virginia loss, that really uh, yeah. s- felt sour at that point in the season. And, and that's fine. I have no issue with that. I'd probably just keep it the same, though. Fair enough. Uh, so a picture-perfect 8-4. and four. As, as picture-perfect as 8-4 and four can be. That's right. But a great question there by Steve. He always does a good he, job. He, he always does. He al- he's always terrific with these. And his next question, uh, also submitted via text, is using our most recent starting five on basketball, Mac, X, Cardi, Tony, and Mike. Uh-huh. Which Thanksgiving dishes would you compare them to? Um, I would say Cardi Yada. He's got he's got a little flair to his game. Yeah. When you think of an when you think of Thanksgiving flair, what do you think of? Um oh dinner rolls for sure. Yeah, come 
Dell, come on now. Dinner <laughs> rolls? Cranberry sauce? No, man. I'm thinking of a nice big green bean casserole with the the crunchy onion rings. Oh yeah, that, that is. That's that a little flair. Yeah. To it. yeah. Woo! <laughs> Woo! And I like. I, so I would go that mac yams. What about mac and cheese? Oh, that would actually make sense too. But I'm gonna say yams. Okay. For for mac, uh, for X, <laughs> that's yams. Yeah. Okay. Don't you guys do a? Um, doesn't the Icon household do like a prime rib? No turkey. Oh. Okay. Turkey. Unless I'm the only one home for Thanksgiving. If if my sisters are coming for Christmas, we'll do like a turkey or ham there. Like whenever there's more people there, we'll do a turkey or a ham, depending on the holiday. But if it's just me and my folks, then maybe we get in the prime rib. Well, Matt could be prime rib. Yeah, absolutely. He would yeah. definitely be prime rib in that case. Um, Antonio Gordon, um, I think he is going to be... Hmm, this is a tough one. I'm going to say... He is going to be maybe like, like a nice little seven-layer salad. Okay. Because he's got some serious salad on his head. That's man. You true, know what man. I'm saying? Hey, pass the Clippers, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, X, he's a guy who has been here through it all, really. Four-year start or three-year starter, but played a lot in all four years. Hard turkey. Yeah. A staple, a stalwart of any Thanksgiving feast. You know, I think you're kind of a turkey. I, I knew you. You couldn't let me off the hook there, could you? And then um, Mike McGurl. Also, happy birthday to Mike McGurl today. He turns 21 years old. Oh, man. Hopefully he's, uh, you know, tearing it up tonight at Cause. Yeah. Or maybe the Salty Rim. Yeah, I don't know where he frequents. He's slugging back beers and, and drinks. Maybe. Maybe. But uh, for Mike, I am going to go with a nice slice of cherry pie. Oh, good. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, I you'd say, well, cherry pie, that's not really Thanksgiving-y. But at the Sork household it is, so I'm going to go with that. Oh, very good. I don't really like pumpkin pie. What are your thoughts on pumpkin pie? Oh, I love it. You do? Yeah, I, I really like pumpkin pie. Um, yeah. Well, I don't hold your bad taste in desserts against you. How's that? Oh, can it, icon. Pardon my French. Um... All right, our next question comes uh, from listener Ep via Twitter at Johnny underscore Eppleyseed. Ep asks, how many pizzas could you eat in 30 days? This I like. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So if I'm not eating anything else, I'm going to have a pizza at least, I'm going to go, I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to do a quick little bit of mental math here. I would say... One pizza a day minimum. That's a given. Now what, okay, let's get some ground rules here. Are we talking just for, just for, uh, you know, are, are these, define pizza. Mm-hmm. Are we talking personal pan? Oh, I'm, I'm talking like a large pizza. Like I'm talking okay, a large, let's, like, let's, let's talk, let's talk like a large Papa John's, large Pizza Hut pizza. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one a day, at least. Yeah. And I'm going to say I probably, in thir- in a 30-day pizza, I think I can do 40. I think you can do 45. think so. I think you could do a one and a half per day. So I did about one and a third a day. Yeah. Now, granted, there's going to be days where you're more hungry than others. 
But the normal, like a large pizza comes in what, eight slices? Yeah. Pizza for breakfast, one slice, two slices, depending on how hungry you are. Pizza for lunch, two slices there. Pizza for dinner, another two slices. Oh, you could put you could be putting away four at a sitting, I think. Well, it depends on how big the pieces are, I guess. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go thirty. I'm gonna go thirty five pizza. Thirty five pizzas in thirty days is my estimation. You are, think I can do a lot more? Which you know, I I have to say I'm 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 flattered. <laughs> Well, tune in. Uh, Maybe that's something we'll do here during the offseason. Yeah, tune in uh, in the Bull Recap Show, where we'll tell you how many pizzas the icon. It's about eaten. thirty days between now yeah. and uh, then, so we'll have to get on it. Make a pizza, pizza a day keeps the doctor away. Is what I've always heard. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, that was a great question. Ep. Our next question comes from listener Trim at Trim Goima. Trim asks, Icon, let's go straight to the bottom of the barrel. Who had the worst season? KU or KC from Temptation Island? <sighs> Bruh. Dude, it's bad for KC. It's really bad for him. Um, KU season, not great, but they did get a conference win. They do have a little bit more life in the program, it appears. KC is really struggling right now, so I'm going to have to say KC's had a, had a worse run of it. Yeah, I mean, KU had a, complete, a, a pretty dismal season, I think, but at least they still have some semblance of hope. I mean, there's reasons, if you're a KU fan, uh, to be optimistic right now. Uh, you can certainly find silver linings in that. But poor Casey, man. That guy is just pretty much, I mean, crying in every every shot. It's kind of, it's kind of like Ashley crying early on all the time. Yeah. And now the script is flipped. Casey's crying all the time. Yeah. Uh, what was KU's uh, uh, like tagline when Les Miles was hired? Like, end the oh, break end, the cycle. Break the cycle. Yeah. yeah. So maybe Casey needs to break the cycle. He needs, he needs something. He's got two episodes to do it. So, uh, you know, running out of time there. That's right. Well, a great question from Trim. Uh, keep those questions coming. Uh, only uh, what two or three weeks left in Temptation Island. That's right. So, you know they they the real tragic thing about college football season it's so short. Mm-hmm. And the tragic thing about Temptation Island runs just about the same amount of time as college football, even shorter. Yeah, it's it's brutal. But we plug away and keep grinding. Uh, our next question uh, we have a trio of questions uh, from listener Mahomes season. At KSU oh. underscore funny 33. Always, always a uh, frequent contributor. Yeah, his first one. Uh, we talked about Thanksgiving earlier. Um, home season wants to, wants to know, what is your favorite Christmas-themed movie? Die Hard. It's not a Christmas movie. Why not? Because it's not a movie about Christmas. Okay. There's, it's during Christmas. There are people in Santa hats. They're making remarks about Christmas. It's not a Christmas movie. It's not okay. Then if you're, I'm gonna say, my answer is Die Hard. But I'm gonna say if that doesn't fit Dealer's that's just criteria of a Christmas. I don't want to get into this whole thing, but the people that say Die Hard's my favorite Christmas movie, you're dodging the question. Okay, well then I, I won't dodge your question, Dealer, and I won't. Well, dodge, it's not my question. I won't dodge Mahomes' season 
I won't dodge his question either. If they're not gonna, if uh, Die Hard is not a permissible answer, I will say Home Alone. Okay. Yeah. Does that, does that suffice for you? Does that suffice for you? Yeah. Okay. That I works. think so. Okay. I'm I think if I'm a movie lying. just happens to be taking place during Christmas, that doesn't make it a Christmas movie. Okay. And I wonder if Home Alone. Well, I mean, by that same stretch, it would seem like it would not fit your criteria. I don't know. I haven't seen Home Alone in a while. I need to see well, how central... Well, no, because in Home Alone, they have the rocking around the Christmas tree. Oh, so they just... Well, there's Christmas songs. Well, and you have are... Santa Claus in there, and... Christmas is a bigger part of Home Alone than it is Die Hard. Yeah. You know what I have to say to you? Keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> yeah. What's that, uh... Because he, uh, you know, that's kind of all comes full circle because the guy's delivering a pizza. <laughs> that's true. All right. Yeah. So how about that? How do you like that? What's the name of that fictional movie? Oh, I can't remember. Angels with Dirty Souls or something. Something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, something along those lines. Well, great question. Um, Terrific. Terrific. And a, stuff, a great audible by you and staying on your toes and kind of giving two movies that may or may not uh, fit, but uh, good answer icon is what I'm trying to say. Uh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that, Dell. Um, question two will the Bruce get cats dance in March I'm gonna have to say no at this point no I'm gonna have to say no at this point however there's still plenty of season left um, definitely not giving up hope but you know there are too, a little too many question marks for me right now to say that this is a Turner team fair enough well stay tuned yeah because you know, th- it's funny too because last year, not quite the same time, but a little bit later, there was that talk. Is like, you know, if, if I put a gun to your head, would you say K State makes the NCAA tournament? And I said, man, I really don't know. I'd say, put that gun down, please, sir. please. I'm, when I'm, did you buy a gun? I'm very scared. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, this this season, I feel a little safer saying saying no than I would have last season. And I, I didn't say no last season, by the way. So yeah, um, I'm still living, still ticking. Certainly hope some of those uh, young guys will develop, and I think there's a good yeah, chance it, they will. And it's a season of development. You know, Bruce Weber knows to win at K-State in the way that we've won here with Bruce has been developing four-year guys. And, you know, with this team being having some mixture of old and young, I'm not going to, you know, get on a guy's case for, you know, having a little bit of a slow start early. And like I said, it is early. Uh, but... Uh, Plenty of room for improvement here for K-State. In my home season, final question, and the final question we have this week uh, is appropriate. Where he says, where he asks, rather, Cyclones, more like Cryclones, am I right? Well, I know that there was some complaints about the officiating. uh, There there were some holding calls that the Iowa State fans thought uh, went uncalled against K-State. But you know what they say. There's holding on every play, right? Yeah. Every single one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, K-State made the plays in that game. Iowa State did not. And, you know, to hold Iowa State. Hold Iowa State. See what I did there? Uh, down to 17 points. Giving them their largest margin of defeat this year by 10 points. I think the any type of uh, complaints, at least to me, fall a little bit on deaf ears. Yeah, just... Whining about officiating, just give it a rest. I mean, there was no egregious call. I mean, for for a K-State-Iowa State game, this was as 
clean and as just normal of a football game as we've had in some time. Yeah, which is saying something considering there was like a 30 mile an hour consistent crosswind. Um, but I don't know. The recipe for this game getting just being completely wild was there. Terrible weather, cold, two teams that are pretty evenly matched. You felt like this could be another one of these games that comes down the wire. And, you know, it was a competitive game for four quarters. I mean, back and forth, but, you know, it was a game of runs, too. K-State gets up 14-0. Iowa State scores 17 unanswered. And then uh, K-State rattles off um, 13 of their own uh, to close out 27-17. So, um, well, and it was a game of runs because uh, K-State ran the ball well. Yeah, ran the ball a whole bunch. Yeah. And Kansas State ran the ball uh, like 40, 49 times on Saturday. Yep. So, game of runs in that respect, too. Absolutely. But... Whining about officiating. This this sticks with you a little bit. Just give it a rest. I mean, and that goes for K-State fans, too. Just shut up. All fans. Just, they're humans. And they have they don't have the same perspective that you do. You're, they're not looking at the field from up in the box. And so, guess what? Some calls are going to be missed. That's a given in every game. And sometimes it works to your benefit, like it may have on Saturday for K-State. Who knows? Sometimes it works against you, but it's a fact of life that officiating isn't perfect and that you're going to get some calls that go against you, and you just got to deal with it. But most of the team, or most of the time, the team that deserves to win wins. That's why, you know, uh, Ohio State and Clemson and LSU are all right at the top, and the teams that are generally worse generally lose. But in terms of officiating, just understand that it's, it's not done by robots. It's done by humans, and they make mistakes. And just learn to live with that, and it makes the whole... It'll make your viewing experience a lot better. Well, my thing is, too, like, I guess I didn't realize there was so much outrage until kind of the next day or, you know, day after or whatever. But to me, when I'm watching the game, from my vantage point, I didn't think anything was really bad at all. I thought it was just a normally officiated game. I didn't think it was one-sided in any way. Now, maybe... You know, I'm looking at that through um, an inherent K-State bias, but I, I don't believe that I am. I thought it was pretty well officiated, and I thought uh, Mike DeFee's crew did a hell of a job out there. Yeah, and, you know, but whining about, like, a missed holding call? How do you miss that call? Well, very simply, they, they didn't see it. <laughs> like, it's a or, very simple or, explanation. Or it could be part of a greater conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, that's more likely. Yeah, that might be more likely. So, But that, that wraps up uh, all the... All the AVIs. Icon, do you have any parting words for our listeners? You know, uh, Dilo, I really don't. How about yourself? Do you, do you have anything you'd like to add here before we wrap this one up? I just hope that everybody has a great week and a great Advent season. Yeah, absolutely. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving, uh, traveling safely uh, to and from wherever you, uh, you know, whether if you did travel or not. Uh, of course, uh, hope that uh, it was a great Thanksgiving uh, with friends and family and, uh, you know, Shoot, Christmas will be here before you know it too. So, and also while we're talking about what people need to shut up about, they also need to shut up about uniforms. Well, that goes without saying. Yeah, but dude, did you see these uniforms? I see. They, they're very nice, aren't they? They're clean. I know. I know you've been wanting probably to put your two cents on, and since you're kind of a big uniform guy. Yeah, yeah. My two cents. Clean. Clean. That's it. 
Yeah. Like I said. Well, folks, that will do it here uh, for the short side option podcast. K State takes on Marquette, 8 o'clock on Saturday. ESPN 2 is where you can find that one. And uh, we hope to be coming back and uh, kind of break it down K State's bowl game opponent, giving a quick preview of that next week, and uh, hopefully recapping a K-State win over Marquette. So, folks, that'll do it here for us on this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Thank you for listening, and as always, go Cats!